contained within the Tibetan Book of the Dead is a description of a realm that spans between death and one's rebirth. Bardo, as it is named, is outlined as a state of existence where consciousness is free of the physical body. According to this philosophy, it is within this state the consciousness is unchained and free to stretch out and experience the truest sense of reality. Unfortunately, this stage of enlightenment can quickly be followed by terrifying hallucinations and a person who is not properly trained or enlightened can become trapped within extended cycles of memory where they recall and experience their thoughtless actions during their lifetime. Statistics show that nearly 17% of those who are close to death experience a wide range of phenomena which they describe occurrences like distorted time, out-of-body experiences, and communicating with deceased relatives. These events have noticeable and long-lasting effects on those who seemingly return from the edges of death. This case file joined the theorists as they dipped their toes into the river Styx and explored the shores of near-death experiences. Welcome to Alien Theorist Theorizing Case File 180 NDEs Near Death Experiences. I'm Braden. I'm Zell. I'm Dan. And I'm Andrew. All right. And I mean, this is a, a highly requested topic. So to start this one off right away, we have a guest on the line. Uh, she goes by Snow Forest. And she has her own NDE experience from a handful of years ago. And we're going to bring her on the line right now. She's going to go through what it was like before, during, what happened, and her events afterwards. She's local to us, BC. And so here she is. Hello. Can you hear us? I can. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Thanks, Snow. Thanks for coming on the show to tell your story. You're welcome. Yeah, it's a very long story, but if I give you some tidbits of information, you can kind of flow with it. Um, I would say about, well, now it's been about four and a half years ago, um, I found myself on a very interesting path. So at that time of my life, I feel like I had everything kind of like the regular life, the conventional life, fully alive. Like I had a really good job and I had a house and I had a partner and I had all the things that you would quote unquote, want to have in your life. But there was something in my soul that was like really just always felt like missing. And ever since I was a little girl, I was very called to the natural world and to living close to nature and to plants and things like that. And um, yeah, there was just, it just came to a point in my life where I, I just witnessed that like I wasn't happy with all the things that I was supposed to have, you know? And I went through the regular tract and I, and I got the education and all these things. Um, and I ended up getting um, a job actually in Kelowna, um, working for Interior Health. And so I left my job in Ontario, I'm from, originally from Ontario actually. <laughs> I moved to Kelowna to potentially take this job offer. 
And when I got there, it was like literally something inside of myself, my soul just knew that something was like not right. Like it wasn't sitting right, even though it was like a fantastic job. It was managing basically a team. It would have been like so much money and it would be like another step in my corporate career, so right. to speak. When I got to my office place, I looked at the office and I just remember feeling the sense of dread <laughs> in my body and just witnessing like this is not my life like this is not what i'm supposed to be doing and when i walked into this place 1626 richter street i turned left it was my office and then i turned to the right and it was the canadian school of natural nutrition and everything in my body was just like oh i'm exactly where i need to be i just need to look in a different direction so it was kind of like a crossroads of where my life was changing and switching around Right. So I ended up going to school for holistic medicine and everything started to come alive. I ended up getting a grant from the government. So started, things started like falling into place and like everything was free and it just like was pushing me sort of on this path. Anyways, fast forward two years later, I graduate and I, at that point, just didn't want to go back to that corporate life. So I just kept exploring, got really deep into plants and started studying herbalism. And then at that point, I just felt like the things in my life no longer were like very appealing to me, like the whole structure that I had, even the partner that I was with, the things that I had, I just became progressively more like unhappy with the way that my life was moving towards, even though materially I had everything that I wanted. So I decided to quit everything. <laughs> and I went through a very big cathartic period of my life where I literally removed everything in my life. And so I went through like, I guess, a dark night of the soul or like some sort of big death experience where I just decided that, you know what? I'm not happy doing what I'm doing, so I'm just not gonna do it anymore. I just got to that point. So I sold everything, I put my house up for sale and I moved out into the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I moved into a small little town north of Lumbee, or like a small little place in the woods, like north of Lumbee. Lumbee is like a town of like 200 people. Yep. And I decided to dedicate myself to studying plants and living in a trailer. So I lived with no running water, no electricity by myself in the middle of the woods. Um, and I just decided to fully dedicate myself to the path that was calling to me, which was the plants. So I forgo everything in my life. Um, I live without money. I only had my car, which was a smart car that I recently lived out of and my trailer. Um, but I was happy. Like there was a part of myself that came alive with like finding out like what certain plants, um, attributed to certain medicines. And so I just started to make wild teas in the forest um, and wildcrafted these wild teas and I would go into the co-op and I would trade for food like beans and rice and things at the co-op like that I could cook and then they would basically sell my teas. So I was living completely off grid and like completely out of the system. Um, and at that period of time, I had this really deep spiritual experience where I felt like the land was calling me to like a deeper calling in my life. And so I made this prayer at the top of the hill one day where I said, hey, like I literally surrendered everything in my entire life to be of service to spirit, to be of service to Mother Earth. And if there's something bigger than me, please make it very, very apparent what this bigger thing is in my life. The next day, um, one of my mentors like rushed up the hill. I meditate every day on this hill. Yeah. Drinking different teas and stuff. He came up and he was like, Oh my God, like I just had this like crazy dream about you. You cannot come up here by yourself. I just, I thought that you died up here. And I was like, Oh my gosh, Don, you're totally crazy. Like, I'm fine. I'm just meditating up here. Like you don't have to freak out. I'm totally good. I'm fine. He's like, no, no, no. He came up with his bear bell. He's like ringing this bear bell. And I was like, don't freak out. Like I'm totally okay. Um, and then the next day I died. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'll tell you a little bit more about how I died. So basically, I was working with women's medicine. So a medicine called Angelica Root or Dong Kwai. And this is known um, in traditional medicine as, as a plant of healing the womb or, or he- healing women's hormones to help create like regular menstrual cycles. Okay. This plant is a carrot family plant. So it has basically white flowering tops. There is another plant that looks identical to it. It's called water hemlock. Yes. And this plant is extremely poisonous. And if you get two drops of this resin on your skin, it can kill a man in 15 minutes by way of um, cutting off the peripheral nervous system. So you basically end up suffocating to death, but it keeps your brain intact so that you can recall every experience in your body because it doesn't affect the brain. Just it affects the things below your spinal cord, like below your neck. Just to put so, it into context um, for people, it's it's a central nervous system depressant, right? So it has a lot of the similar effects as like an opioid, right? It's a peripheral nervous system suppressant, so it keeps your brain alive and normal, but it, your it, your your extremities, like your arms, your legs, your diaphragm, your muscles, they go numb and they they stop functioning. Mm-hmm. Oh, doesn't sound mm-hmm. great. So. Basically, I was making a tea from Angelica root and I did and I was called to the specific plant to make this tea and and I got a message from spirit. I'm very intuitive. It was like, this is just for you, not for anybody else, just for you. And I said, okay, so I made this what we call a decoction where I soak this root in water. But in the low lying marshland where I wildcrafted this plant, um, there was, I guess, a suspected water hemlock growing in the vicinity. So the groundwater was contaminated with water hemlock. And it's so potent that this like neuro, this, the circuitoxin basically, I, I, we believe, we don't know for sure, but I got um, sucked into the Angelica root. So I ended up taking a decoction or um, a tea that had a mixture of Angelica root and water hemlock. If you look at it from an energetic space, it's like taking a plant of the white, like Angelica angel plant and hemlock, death, dark, death. So it's like white and black. So it's like a yin yang mixture of right. like some substance anyway. So I went on top of this hill the next day. I did an, like a little invocation. I sat down and I said, look, listen, I'm surrendering myself to service for Mother Earth. Like, what do I need to do for my life? I'm totally done chasing the corporate dream. And I'm here to like sit in the service of what I'm supposed to bring. And I, I drank this uh, decoction. So it's basically the herb that sat in water. And then within five minutes, I knew something was terribly wrong. So I started to like get double vision. I started to like feel like my whole body was separating itself. Like, like my, my soul, my spirit was coming out of my physical body. And so um, instead of going da- back down the hill, like by hiking, I jumped off a ravine and basically got cut with like hearthworm berries and raspberry bushes and blackberry bushes because I just knew that something was just not just wrong. And so I, I went back to my trailer I grabbed a plastic bag. I like in- initiated my own like heaving process to get whatever was inside out. But I was just called by spirit. Like I was on automatic mode. Like my brain was just like not functioning even. I was just like moving my body and like doing all the things, but like by the hand of spirit, like not by me. Oh. Um, I turned open this plant book. And when I was looking down, it was like trying to read, you know, Angelica, if there's any contraindication, something I missed about it. And it literally felt like it just turned the page itself. And I, and then I was looking at hemlock. So I didn't even know about this plant before. It was like hemlock, two drops of the skin will kill a man in 15 minutes. And then everything in my body fell like a brick, like, boom. And I just thought of like that movie into the wild. And I was like, okay, wow, I'm going to die here. 
So I had to come like face to face with this feeling of, oh shit, I'm going to fucking die. You know, sorry, student language. <laughs> but okay. anyway, so I, <laughs> so I grab my bag of vomit. I'm like delirious by this time and like dry heaving and like just everything, you know? So I walk down to the house and it's a miracle because the two people, the only two other people that live on the property was Dawn Elzer, which was like my mentor and Willow her name is Willow Tree. <laughs> she just moved to the forest, like literally the day before. I hadn't even met her yet. It turns out that she was an EMS nurse from Alberta that had just retired. So her trailer that she brought had medical equipment in her trailer. So it was like wow, a miracle. Fortunate, yeah. Right. So um, I, they were like waiting to greet me. It was like the weirdest thing. And usually everybody during the day is like foraging in the woods or like off, like not in the scent, like in the house or whatever. And so I stumble up to them and then they were like, Oh my God, are you okay? And I was like, no, like I'm dying. You need to call poison control. And they're like, no, no, just come into the house. Everything's gonna be fine. Have a tea. I was like, no, I'm dying. Like I need to, That's like, what got me into this. we gotta <laughs> go. We gotta go. And so they started giving me water. Okay. So this is interesting. They started giving me water, but water it, it initiates the properties of water hemlock. Oh, it makes no. it stronger. So they're bringing, inducing a trip. So basically it's like whatever spirit wanted me to have experience with this plant. Like it was like, okay, now we're going to activate the plant in her body. <laughs> so basically we'll skip a little bit of time here. Basically they call the ambulance. They say from Vernon hospital, like, look, listen, like this girl, she's dying in our arms. Cause I progressively got worse. Like within 10 minutes, like my, my blood pressure was at zero. My heart rate was at 18 beats per minute. Like I was fully, well, for them looking at me dying, but I was fully alive. <laughs> so, you know, like I had awareness about what was happening in my body. Miraculously, they said, okay, we don't have a vehicle. It's not going to arrive in for an hour and a half. No. But then they, they get a call back. They get a call back five minutes later saying that there's a miraculous vehicle that showed up in Lumbee and they're going to send it and they'll be there in five minutes. So nobody even knows how that's possible still to this day, but that's what happened. And they said, okay, Willow, because she was a nurse, she asked them, she's like, is this a basics vehicle or an advanced vehicle? And they said, well, it's a basics vehicle. She goes, no, she needs cardiac arrest support. She needs an advanced vehicle. She's dying. So they send another vehicle from Vernon Hospital to meet me halfway. And in the meeting point of these two vehicles meeting, I lost breathing for like two minutes. So they didn't pronounce me dead yet because my heart rate was still at like six beats per minute or something, but like almost stopped. Yeah. But I used like my breathwork techniques from yoga because like I studied yoga for 15 years and basically expanded the prana in my body to like survive no oxygen for two minutes. I had conscious awareness this entire time. So then they transfer me over to this vehicle. I go into the hospital. And by this time, I'm totally out of my body, but I'm completely conscious. So I know so that consciousness you, is out of my so body. Can you explain that to us? Sorry. So I'm existing in consciousness, but I'm not existing any longer in my body. So that's why I know that consciousness exists outside of our body and inside of the body. But it's not just inside of who we think we are. So you're fully conscious on the trip when you're pre almost pronounced dead. I'm seeing everything happening. Yes. From a third, like a bird's eye view. Different vantage point. Yes. Yeah. But also I could travel from there too and not just watch that, but I could see anything. Like I could go anywhere. Like you're like so, an astral projection type of thing. Like you can travel. Yes. Yeah, like I exist. 
it's hard to explain with like the physical, like eyes, nose, ears, mouth kind of senses, but I'm existing in everything. I can't, you can't even, there's no words to it. It's like, you can be anything, but there's no thought, like there's no mind. It's like a feeling and an awareness that is so grand beyond our conceptual ability, dimensional space. Right. Mm-hmm. So the multidimensional space, like sometimes if you do different types of plant understanding or an in-depth knowledge of something like we've done psychotropics, but this was a completely different experience because there was nothing even grounding myself in the physical body anymore. So it was my plant initiation that I was going through. And so I ended up going into the hospital and they induced my coma. So they put me in the coma, but then when they took, tried to take me back out, I wouldn't come out. So I ended up being in a coma for five days. Five. But in that five days, Ooh. yeah. But in that space of five days, it was like having a DMT trip for five days, but also like eternity. So if you've ever done DMT, I, I don't know if you guys done DMT before. Not DMT, other ones, but not that one. Okay. So DMT is the chemical that's released at the point of death, but plants, certain plants like ayahuasca is DMT or 5-MeO DMT that comes from frogs called, or toads called bufo, which I also work with as a plant medicine holder right. now. Um, it can induce a state of like, that is identical to the point of transition when you die. And in that state, it's a complete out of body, like full blown psychedelic experience. Um, and it needs to be guided by somebody that understand, understands the space because they're not medicines that we just play around with. They're very sacred. Powerful, yeah. But they're super powerful, yeah. But when we die, we, we that our brain releases that same chemical and we start to understand the fabric of the way the universe is actually woven. And this is only from my experience, of course. I'm not here to talk about everybody's experiences and mine as being true. But in, in my experience, it is so profound to know the capabilities of consciousness in general and how it weaves through everything. And so um, it was like a five-day DMT experience. And of course, anytime you do some sort of psychotropic, you have potentially a new forming idea of what reality is. This one was very, very profound for me. Um, and then basically, and on the fifth day, the doctors told my parents, they said, you know, if she doesn't wake up, she might have organ damage. So if you, what do you want to do? Like, you know, we have to kind of create a plan for her. Um, and they said, okay, well, when I was a little girl, I told my mom, you know, if I'm ever in a coma, you need to let me go after the seventh day. I like specifically told her this when I was a little girl and she was like, what, what are you talking about? Why? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And so she was like, and I used to always be obsessed with death when I was a kid, like this morbid child of like, I want to die, mom. I wonder what it's like to die. Like, she's always like, you're so strange, but it was just like part of a destined path is what I perceive it to be, you know? Right. So they told the doctors, okay, on the seventh day, we we're going to respect her wishes. When she was a child, she said she didn't want to live anymore. So we're going to pull it. And in the multidimensional space, I could hear them talking. So I was like, oh, shoot, they're going to let my body go. What should I do? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of details. And so I've been holding workshops across Canada, United States, in um, Mexico, Guatemala, Hawaii, New Zealand, Asia for the last four years, talking about my death experience and also talking about the states of consciousness that we move towards after we die. So that's the kind of work that I'm immersed in now. And I, and I do private work with this as well. But basically is that I heard them in that space and um, was just, you know, contemplating about whether or not I would come back into this body that I currently have, or if I would forego it and well, this is my perception, of course. I'm not here to tell anybody what their belief systems are, but from my experience is that do you choose another body or do you come back to this one? 
Right. Because so, is, your, is your time up to or to move on or <laughs> stay on this? That's in right. This one? Well, it, it gave me a contemplation. It actually said, you know, like you can. There, there is no such thing as time in, in the sense that you can just continue on in a different body and you would still have a destined path, you know. But if you want to come back now then it's already there. Your body's there already. You're going to remember, and it's going to be a lot easier for you to remember your divine nature if you just come back into this body now. So then I kind of like, it's not like I'm thinking and making decisions like I'm intellectualizing like in this moment, but there's parts of like a knowing space in the consciousness field that you can kind of make decisions by your heart. Um, yeah, and so um, at that point, I was faced with like a very, very bright light, like at the very end of my journey. So like it would take me too long actually to explain every single state of consciousness that we move forward. That's like five stages. It's very long. Right. But in the end I did see a light and it was so immense that it's like rapturous. That's the word that I want to say. And before this, I I'm pretty much like kind of an atheist. I was like curious about spiritual topics, but never really like religious or like had a firm understanding about what really happens when you die. I was like kind of oblivious to it until this moment. And so what I witnessed was a huge light, like all around, not me, but just, I was that or like merging with it. And it was rapturous. Like it would, it brought like rapture to all of my, what you would even consider like, like not cells, but molecules of essence that I was. And it was like orgasmic, like the feeling of like complete bliss. And then in that state, <laughs> I was like, they were the, 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 the notion was like there's service to do on this planet. And when I connected with the act of service, then I could feel in one moment, everything just collapsed boof, back into my body. And I went back down in through my head and back into my body and then opened my eyes in the hospital. Like you felt yourself be like absorbed back into your physical body. Yeah. Like a vacuum. <sighs> so now when you're, when you're having this like out of body experience, are you, like looking down on yourself? Are you just pure, like you just, are, are you seeing yourself? Are you just hearing stuff or how is that? How's that? So the experience? five stages, I'll just briefly state. So it was like first out of body. So then you see yourself, but you don't have a body, but you see yourself as a witness to your reality, the 3d reality. And then there's another state, which I call the placid lake state, which is where you can veer, veer into consciousness and witness as a lake, everything that anything that ever happened. I call it like, people call it the Akasha, but I call it like clear placid lake state. It's like clarity of vision. And then there's a transcendence into like realms where I felt like there was like demonic entities and like angel entities and like different kinds of spirit forms. And then there was another realm, like there's just different realms that you transcend into while your body is like going through this, not body, your consciousness is moving through the, the portals and gateways to more of liberation of your consciousness. <laughs> That's how I would explain it. So when I get to the, the end, it's this tunnel of darkness, like pure potential, like darkness, like expanse forever, like anything that does nothing exists. And it's what I call zero point consciousness. Other people use this term as well as zero point consciousness. It's where everything is created and everything is destroyed. And then in that moment, that's when I saw the light. And then in that light, there was a knowing of everything kind of like, there's service here. We're caretaking this planet. Like, da, 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 like, and I could go through a whole thing. I won't go through all of it, but it's like the all knowing essence is what I want to say from the space of love, like the immense love, like immense love, like a baby was born or like, 
you know, your best friend like does the most amazing thing for you, you get married or like, I don't know, I'm just trying to use human, you know, experiences to explain this kind of vast intimacy that you have in that space. And once you had that, then it was like, okay, hey, do I go back into my body or do I just choose another one? And then in that moment, I was like, well, I just got to go back to mine because like, I'll remember everything, you know? <laughs> so then I went back and then that boom, the vacuum all the way. And then you felt, and then you like open your eyes, right? As soon as you were absorbed back into your body, you open your eyes and you're out of your coma. Yeah. And everybody in the room was like in shock. Wow. And then my mom told me, and people in the hospital would tell me too, like I was so, like my experience is that I was pure love of consciousness. Like I can't even explain that. It's like the feeling of complete enlightened bliss, like complete oneness. And then from that space within 72, or what is it, 72? No, on the seventh, sorry, seventh day, so 48 hours later, I was released from the hospital walking by miraculous circumstance. No, no organ damage. No organ damage. I had bruising on my arms from them strapping me down because I had grand mal seizures because the plant was like impacting my ability to like keep control over my body. I guess it was affecting my cerebellum or something. So I had bruises on my arms and legs because they had to strap me down because I was like literally having full blown like body seizures. It's um, amazing because you would think that you'd be in some sort of like renal failure. You'd assume that there would be some rhabdomyolysis created by that. Like, and for you to be able to walk away from that two days later is absolutely fucking blows my mind. So like a medical miracle. So, absolutely. Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. Like, this is just the beginning of the story. <laughs> but, okay, so then after I come out of the hospital, like, my entire 3D existence is totally changed. My And still now, I live a totally surreal life. But it's like, uh, no, time for me doesn't exist. Like, spatialness does exist with our minds. So time and space exist with our minds. It's a human construct, but it's an, actually an illusion. We can play with it. It doesn't actually fully, fully exist. So when you change that, when you think, oh, I have all the time in the world to do anything that I ever wanted, think about that for a moment. It's like, I can do anything. And then when there's like, oh, space doesn't exist, it means that means I can go anywhere. I can do anything. Like it's limitless potential. So that's how it's changed my life completely. But the number one defining factor of change is the space of gratitude for life, breath, and unconditional loving presence that is the thing that changed in forever. It's like this unconditional, unwavering space of presence, presence in my body towards anybody, anything, any relationship that I have. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have that before. Not like this. Not like, I don't even know how to explain that until you can be it. So a, com <laughs> a complete, like you, a complete transformation from the person you were before to after. Yeah. yeah I just realized that many of the things that I was doing was out of fear, not out of liberation. Oh. Because I realized that life is a complete gift and every moment and every breath is a complete miracle. Like that we are conscious beings that exist without the constructs of our body. But then when we exist in our body, it's a gift from this earth plane that we can exist in a vehicle that's tactile, that we can experience every single moment with pleasure. Because the thing is, when you're undefined consciousness, you are everything and content, but you don't get to experience play in the polarities of this universe you don't get to play in like the good and the bad and the emotional and the humanness and the you know joys and pleasures of eating and procreation and you know so we have physical bodies it's like such a gift to have this 
because in the consciousness space, everything is, is cool, but it's like content. And it's not like, like a, it's not a ride, you know, it's not a play. It's just like, as is, <laughs> right, so, but now we have bodies so we can play with them. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, like we grow up in this material plane and you know, like bound by society's constructs. And then it seems cause your story is sim- very similar to other, like many, many others that you read of like mm-hmm. how the, the experience of the NDE like completely changes your perception of not only like your life, but like, you know, the universe, like consciousness in general, like, so then mm-hmm. you, when you come back, you're like, well, that job, like all the stuff that we're told means everything to us is not really mm-hmm. anything. Yeah, exactly. Because it's just part of a social, cultural conditioning patterning that we carry in the ego. Right. So it's kind of like, I mean, cause I've, I've done, you know, like mushrooms and LSD mm-hmm. and stuff. And that is like, that is a, obviously a very minor version of, you know, an NDE, like that complete but it is like ego dissolving in that way and similar, right? Like where you do it and you come mm-hmm. up while you're in it, you're like, oh, like my, this stuff, like, no, not, none of this really makes sense. And then when you, it takes like weeks almost to come back to like your previous state of mind. Yes. Yes. So there's that aspect. And then the other aspect is that the miracles just begun from that point. So basically what I was witnessing after that is that, okay, so the story gets weirder. Like I went back home to Ontario with my family and my, I went to go see my family doctor just to tell her that I still had numbness in my fingertips, just like mild numbness. And so I just wanted to monitor, I just wanted her to monitor to see if there's something, if something progressed in the future. Cause they weren't sure if I would have like residual da- damage, you know, going forward. Like they're like, you could die. Like, we don't even know why you're alive. Like you could, <laughs> you know, something could happen in a week. And so you need to just, so for me, it was like full gratitude for every moment that I had. Like, I didn't even know if I would make it for like a day or week or whatever. So living like that was kind of like, oh my gosh, I just have to take the best of every moment, you know? That's a big teaching for sure. Anyways, I go see my family doctor and she says to me, oh my gosh, uh, this is such a crazy story. You have to meet my husband. And I said, why? She said, because my husband is a teacher in Rishikesh, India, and he studies near-death experiences and we want you to be a speaker for us. <laughs> so <laughs> this this event not only changed your life, but also it's like allowed you to take this message to... Uh, like many people like to the masses. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like other people just like right away though, it was like in one week. And then I was already starting to speak about my story within a week. And then from there doing the t- little talks, like I would have even like 10 or 15 people, those little talks turned into other little talks. And I, I don't like doing big talks cause I'm very sen- sensitive energetically, which is why I live in a small fishing town in Mexico. I kind of like, you know, have a, a, some space, but, um, yeah, I started to go from place to place, like float centers, yoga studios, personal meetings, um, clients, and then started to go across Canada. And I was brought into the States. And these are not from mental choices. These are from people inviting me to do work or, or chat or, or do a little events and stuff. So it brought me pretty much like halfway around the world until now. But what I want to say to the point of that is that manifestation manifest reality is happening within our consciousness, not within our mind. And that once there's a dissolve of ego to a point, the manifestation reality becomes so strong that when you perceive a need, like if you perceive a need is provided to you very almost immediately. This is my experience with my reality. Like I don't try so much. I just let, Mm-hmm. Right. So the yeah, the, they're falling away from all of this is the lack of doing and the more in being and being in presence and gratitude continuously with our authenticity, 
and our story of what we bring in everybody's life, but especially in mine as well, being just honest with who I am and just sharing from that space. And yeah, and and the fears keep us bound to a lot of the things, right? Like you need to do this because you need money because you need to eat or you need to do this because you have to like make sure your family's fine or your, you know, a lot of these things that are beautiful because if it's out of love, it's beautiful. But also at the end of the day, when you die, the only things that really matter are the people that loved you and who you loved. Like love is transcends time, space, dimension. It's infinite. But without that, it's like nothing else really matters or exists. That's what I experienced. Well said. It's beautiful. Now, uh, we said we'd keep you for around half an hour and we're at the, <laughs> And yeah. I, I feel like we could, uh, you could have your own podcast. If Do you have, a, you don't have your own, do you? If you don't, no. you probably should. Yeah, totally. <laughs> And, you know, everybody always like, where's your videos? Where's your podcast? Where's your thing? And that's the thing. I just recognize that when it's needed, like if I, if it flows and I just do it, but if, yeah, if it comes your if way, if you guys invite me, if it comes my way, then for sure. Yes. But there's no like, yeah, I mean, I'm doing well. like just being myself. <laughs> so Snow, how can people follow any of your work or anything like that? Like, how can they look you up? Yeah, they can find my website. It's, um, labyrinthholistichealth.com and what I offer is soul path alignment and soul path oracle readings so I call myself an oracle because I can actually read the snowflake signatures is how I call is how I coin it the essence of a person's soul I can read the blueprint of that and kind of help them step into what their divinity wants to bring out through them from their gifts so what their service is in life and then help them align their energy field towards making that happen. So that's labyrinthholistichealth.com. And then I'm also a web designer, a photographer, but I help individuals set up conscious business so that they can move forward into their life with sovereignty with using that those divine gifts. So I help basically birth what their service is into the world and help people sustain themselves. That's so awesome. that's Sarah, that's sarahsnowphotography.com and then Labyrinth Holistic Health. And they can always just add me to Facebook. Um, that's Snow Forest. Awesome. We'll, Facebook. we'll be sure to include, if you're listening to the podcast, all those links will be in the description. Uh, so you can, yeah, follow her. It's really, really <laughs> awesome. awesome. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we're going to take a short break for the live stream. Uh, stay on the line. We're going to say bye to you. And for people watching the stream, we'll be right back. We're back. We're back. That was cool. Cool story. How's everybody feeling after that? That was a good one, eh? My mind's boggled. I feel like I'm on the astral plane, but I didn't do any mushrooms. I tell you, any one of you motherfuckers post another Instagram story, you're going to have an NDE. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you in after hours what Brandon's yeah. talking about. You're going to have one. <laughs> Sounds uh, like no, it. No, it was, uh, it's very interesting to see, hear from someone who's had an experience like that because... I mean, I've talked about it before on the show when I used to dabble with some, uh, uh, you know, some some magical mind altering substances when I was much younger. Uh, one time did too many, had a very similar experience. I had the experience of the outer body experience. Um, Without the death. See, yeah, I, I had a voice, like, a, like an overpowering voice. I'm not going to say it was a god or anything. It was just a voice. I could, I could hear it. It was all around me. It was in me. Is everything it, and it was just like yeah man you died like it was very like blunt like you died and i was like oh shit. <laughs> shit and then i was looking at my body on the bed and it was like yeah 
Uh, and then it was like, don't worry, like, it's fine. This happens. <laughs> and it was like, it was like, honestly, it was for me. No, like, it's cool, it was, man. You're just dead. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. You're fucking dead, though. Yeah, it wasn't this like over, <laughs> like overwhelming love. Like she said, for me, it was like this, like I was worried, but yeah, whatever you this, your pants. whatever this was <laughs> like, whatever was talking to me was like this overwhelming, like indifference. It was like, yeah, it's all good, man. Like this happens. It's like, yeah, I can put you back wherever you want. And then I, as I was sitting there, like in this void, I remember it, it was like film strips of like film of like eight millimeter, like old film. And I could just see every, like everywhere. And it was like, yeah, just, just pick one. And I said, well, just put me in a good, good one. And it was like, all right. And then the next thing I know, I was like falling through the stars. I was just in space. It's like gravity had grabbed me again. And I was falling through like a, it was like, it was like almost going through warp speed and it was going so fast and I could hear and see. And then I woke up naked making those noises. So, you know, take the, take, take, take from that what you will. But he's fucking yeah. sweating. He's got Dorito crust on his yeah. chest, fuck ass <laughs> naked on his bed. Two, yeah. Six so you, bags of flaming hot Cheetos. Yeah. You had some similarities, except for the rapid onset of death. Yes. Yeah, here's what our, this is where I call bullshit in your story. Is you told them to choose something good and it put you back in your body. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. What are you talking about? I'm a modern day Adonis. <laughs> From a different, different timeline, Buddy, mate, perhaps. You go back to, you look at the Greek statues. How many look like you and how many look like me? All of hey, them listen, look like listen, me, motherfucker. All of, yeah, all of them. There, there's only one dicks. thing you got in common with them, they buddy. Got tiny dicks. It's one thing you got. You're all what? balls. That's it. What? Hey. <laughs> Did all I, balls and bush. I'm not arguing. I'm saying they all look like me. All right. <laughs> oh shit. But yeah, it's um, uh, wild experience. It's interesting to hear someone like that who has a has like a real one in the pill, like the similars. It makes you think that sometimes when you do these hallucinogenics that you know produce DMT in small doses. Or whatnot, it's it's you are maybe unlocking something, right? Now, what exactly? Let, let's. I mean, this, that interview was kind of a last minute thing. We we ended up getting our last minute, but we had a timeline. So, like, what exactly is like an NDE? What like do, is there a description of it, or how like how is it defined? Just like, or is it just a near death experience? I think is what it's called. And so I didn't mean mean though, but it's like anyone who's but not everyone who's near death either doesn't remember them or like one in like one in 10 people or something basically like a near-death experience is triggered during a singular life-threatening episode whether it's like your body's injured from heart attack shock blunt trauma etc now the commonalities between these events that like like uh snow's story was like they become pain-free they see a bright light they detach from their body like an out-of-body experience or they're floating above space watching everything happen, right? Right. So that's that's kind of what we get from this. We have this life-threatening incident that completely pulls them away from what's actually happening. And it's that calming... You know, not always. Not always. You know what I mean? They're, now, they're not always good experiences, which we'll probably get into. But it has to be some type of life-threatening event that's going to be going to induce these experiences, right? Yeah. I mean, it seems to be of all the stories you can read on the internet, it all happens like a, with a rapid onset of unexpected death. Either like a lot, a lot of it, people who like fall 
like mountain climbers and stuff like seem to have this or like but not everyone who dies so it's like it's like there's a certain type of like certain type of death where they're more common yeah like one statistic that was pretty surprising for me is one in 10 cardiac arrest um survivors in hospital report having an nd i wonder if it has something to do with you being consciously aware that you're going to die beforehand yeah. like if it if it's not rapid onset because i i think of like yeah it's perhaps it's like where you have have enough fortitude to go like oh shit i'm i'm going to die like that's it where it's that's when you you trigger them whereas you, you don't even realize it. you don't even you don't even have enough time maybe that's where you see these experiences like you know with these people who have a massive heart attack and they don't have this whereas other people will have i'll be like holy shit i'm having a heart attack like this is it and then the, it triggers this like you know this near-death experience but maybe it's uh giving your body enough time to like kind of pump you full of that dmt when your body thinks that you're going into shock uh it releases that i kind of think of it like you know you see like on just you watch the discovery channel you see like an animal getting eaten and <laughs> you it's just chilling right and it's just chilling like not do it like it's just and like, i'm dead it's and i'm dead yeah and like just just laying there totally awake as it's getting eaten alive and you're like jesus and you're like i don't think that thing's feeling pain anymore or anything it, it's probably because it has this you know maybe it's similar to us we, it has a conscious thought which which is like that's defined as apparent death so basically it's like the playing dead fanning dead playing possum type situation and that kind of makes sense to me because like our minds like we we don't even really know the full capacity of our brain right and like when animals i know it of mine it's fucking <laughs> max right now so like when animals are getting attacked, max, like, that, like you were saying, it, it they have they go into what they call as a tonic uh, immobility, which your body goes completely flaccid, right? So you you know you present like you are dead. So maybe that's our body's way of you know what I mean, prepping us for eventual death. Because when you think about it, like when you're leading up to that death, whether what what is the cause of this death, we can get into that later. But a lot of things like you know what I mean. You look at heart attack. Your 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 heart you're not perfusing enough blood across your body, right? So what does your heart do? Your body tells your heart, hey, listen, we're not getting blood to our extremities. We need to pump faster. We need to work harder. So your heart starts pumping faster and faster and faster. Also, add on to that anxiety of the situation and stuff like that, which is just going to jack your heart rate up faster, which means the harder, the faster your heart pumps, the less time it has to fill with blood to perfuse your body, which is completely counterproductive. Right. So maybe these NDEs of convincing you that you're in a calm, relaxing environment is a way of trying to induce your body into slowing your heart rate down and relaxing and that things are okay. Looks like a evolutionary adaptation, maybe. Potentially. We don't know, right? Right. Dan, what do you think? So there is also the fact that uh, NDEs have also been associated with the stimulation or some sort of like a trauma to the temporal lobe or temporal parietal lobe. So this part of your body is usually that part of your brain, uh, what most medical scientists associated its function with is like your, your awareness of space. And I think that actually might play a part in the out of body experience facet of the near-death experience because when you think about it like the temporal lobe 
this is this is responsible for like your touch and your feel, like your awareness of your body and like what it's doing. So if you shut that down or it is somehow like, you know, if, if there is trauma or something like that and your temporal lobe is for some reason or part of it is even like disabled or doesn't fire right, um, well, some of the like- neurons are impaired. Just to touch on that really quick, Dan, to help you expand on that is that's going to happen eventually with with death, right? Because as you're perfusing, your body um, is not sending oxygenated blood to your brain. It's it's shunting it to your fucking heart, whatnot, and you're not getting that perfusion to the brain. And that's what's causing that effect to the cortex, right? Because like it's the outermost layer of your brain and it's going to stop working and it's slowly going to be like, like think of it like the power is going out in your town, right? That hits this town and then the town beside it and the next one and the next one and the next one, right? So as your brain stops getting that oxygenated blood, it's going to start shutting down. So no matter what happens, that's what's going to lead you know, part of death is the shutting down of your brain. Right. Right. So perhaps that impairment of your temporal lobe and your pretty much your facility to uh, perceive spatial awareness is then your body shifts or your brain, the parts of that are still working, uh, shift into this thing because our brains are very good. They are very, they're evolved to kind of make stories, to make narratives, to make patterns, so to make sense of whatever you're seeing or whatever you're experiencing, just so you don't go crazy. And maybe part of it is to be like, okay, well, I, I'm i going to show myself what I think is happening. I'm going to show myself because now that there's no space, I don't, I don't have this because everybody, most people, it might differ from culture to culture. You have an idea of personal space. Is that correct? Like you have a personal bubble, right? Yeah, I'd say. Okay. And a lot of psychologists, a lot of like neuroscientists would say that our consciousness is directly linked to our like awareness of our body. So like the the touch, like you wouldn't be yourself. You wouldn't you wouldn't be who you are without the, the sensations, right? Like your your feeling of touch, your sense, your smell, all of that input that's perceived and how it's interpreted by your brain, blah, blah, blah. And if you take all of that away then your brain has to be like, okay, now I don't have this limitation. I, I, I'm not, or not in the limitation, but I'm not really sure. I'm not sure where I am, but I, I'm trying to to make that away. I'm trying to make sense of it. So your brain kind of takes you out of it, right? You're, you're, you're the, I think that would also make sense in when you're talking about people who feel like, I, you know, it's, you know, the eternity stretches on forever. I can see everything. That's because you're, consciousness is now lost part of its sensory it's part of its uh, it's part of its perception now you can you literally can your brain feels like it can see everything because you have no sense of personal space you because your touch all of the stuff that defines your personal bubble your physical self is gone so i would feel like that would probably explain part of the out-of-body experience what about people who are like, you read the stories of people who were like dead for half an hour. So, I mean, they're clinically dead, yet they seem to still experience like, so the brain is shut down, I guess, with no oxygen. But I they, think you have to, you have to, do, you have to really carefully define what clinically dead means because there I, are a couple of, let's, let's, there are let's a couple of it. definitions. What's, what's clinically dead? Irre- irreversibly dead is, um, is basically irreversible loss of the capacity for consciousness. It's basically well, like how do you define term for that de- loss of consciousness if you can't really define consciousness when someone's dead? 
Well, the, my question is, is like, it, it depends on the situation, right? Because is this guy getting artificial perfusion? Is he getting, is he getting compressions? You know what I mean? Like, are you, are you breathing for him? Is he, is he receiving artificial respirations? Like we don't necessarily know the only way, like in a lot of these studies, like these people are hooked up to EEGs and in hospital settings. So yes, they are. And they've obviously been, they've obviously successfully reached ROSC, like a return of spontaneous, spontaneous circulation. So we know because they've lived to tell the tale, right? There's one girl that I thought was a really interesting case, Mary Neal. She's like a actual neural surgeon or like a spinal surgeon now, but she was kayaking in Chile, uh, long story short, she got pinched off the wrong way in the river, had to go down the steep waterfall, got trapped underwater for half an hour and like had the same thing that left her body she, for half an hour. She's, I mean, cause after how many, how much oxygen deprivation are you supposed to be brain dead? Well, there is one thing that could add to that though. Like, what, like if it's extremely cold water, they can, you can live within cold water for way longer. But I know right? like I, we, I, I did we had, see that, but like what's considered extremely cold. I couldn't find out how cold the water is. Obviously there was no temperature gauge, but like would like, like eight degrees, 10 degrees colder. I, you know what though? Like I will say like the percentage of, of, uh, getting ROSC or return of spontaneous, spontaneous circulation with a drowning victim is extremely rare. Like I, I don't even think we get 10% back of drowning. So that's pretty substantial. That being said, I, I'd have to look it up, but I believe like over, I think it's pretty close to 45 minutes. If we find somebody under the water in freezing temperatures in the water, we will pull them out and attempt well, to resuscitate. It, it definitely them. wasn't freezing. I know that for a fact, but okay. yeah, either way, I'm just saying like, that's, that's the hard thing about NDEs is like, when does consciousness, like it's hard to measure it if the person's unconscious and they, like, so they're experiencing, so they leave their body with their experience. They are looking down at themselves. They see the light above, they see their body below. Obviously, if in that in that instance, you don't really have any perception of time. Are you out of body while you're still alive, technically, but you think you've been out of your body for much longer, or are you out of your body while you're dead and consciousness is separate from the body? That's like the big debate, right? I still, I still think, I still think you could associate that perception or that uh, with the the temporal lobe. Like you can still, if you're losing, because your sense of time is very care is pretty much linked to your bodily functions. It's whether it's, it could be linked to either like your cycle of hunger. It could be your cycle of like seeing the sun, the amount of light that you're getting all of these things, because there is no perception of time because you have no perception. Basically like to retouch on when I was explaining like the irreversible loss of capacity for consciousness, that's going to be the difference between like ischemia, like a de deprivation of uh, oxygen rich blood to the brain as opposed to infarction, which is like dead tissue. Once we get to the point of like fucking complete dead tissue, you're toast. That's it. Nothing's coming back. And that's a, that's the thing though. Like, so at that point, like if the dead tissue, you don't know that that's the whole thing. Like they don't know, like if the dead tissue is your consciousness still alive, you can't measure it. That's the, that's like the whole metaphysical version of like, yeah. is consciousness living in your mind? And when you die and it's dead tissue, does your consciousness transfer somewhere else? Or does it die with the physical body? And it's like almost impossible to really know because you can't, you're not coming. No one's coming back once the tissue is dead, right? No one's being brought back Nobody to life. Is. Yeah. No. Not yet, at least. You're... Not, not until they have some type of treatment where they could actually reverse like dead cells or something. <laughs> 
something that I found interesting with a lot of the stuff, a lot of the research I went down to a lot of the art, like academic articles and studies that I went through, a lot of literature reviews. I, I touched on one literature review that went through at least like 40 years, like since 1975 of uh, research into NDEs and things like this, is that a lot of it is centered a lot of the research which is as probably this is a flaw in the like the, the gathering of the day of the data is that a lot of the anecdotal evidence for ndes a lot of the things that we that that we have collected that allow us to kind of talk about ndes it's all centered in western culture it's all centered within mostly the us and mostly europe we have bits and pieces from other countries but the perceptions about what happens like their near death experiences actually vary a lot very widely in other countries you do get these broad common commonalities of the uh of the the tunnel of light you get these things like that within western culture but other cultures perceive something completely different like and it's like a lot of times uh, the tunnel of light, you know what I mean? For example, is something that can be explained as easy as like I was talking before when you're going into these, these states, let, let's it's going to, it's shock basically. Right. So what happens when you're in shock, your blood shunts to your essential organs to keep them alive. Like the organs vital for survival. And a lot of times it's going to shunt blood away from the uh, visual periphery of retinas, right? So you're going to lose that sight. So it's going to look like fucking tunnel vision to you. Yeah. And um, so that is part of it. But also some NDEers don't experience the whole tunnel of light. Like that doesn't happen at all. Uh, some, what was it? One of the ones that I came up with that I thought was pretty interesting was a uh, was an experience from Thailand that I thought was interesting. And so this one here is, so... I found myself in the judgment hall, the judgment hall of Yama's palace, and Yama's like the god of the dead. He's like the judgment. He's pretty much a, a like a, what is it like Osiris or whatever in the Egyptian mythology. But anyways, so I knew that they were ready to judge me for my sins. A giant rooster appeared who told Yama that I had killed him. He emphasized that I had tried to kill him again and again. The rooster also said that he remembered me exactly. An entire flock of roosters also testified that I had killed them as well. I remembered my actions and I had to admit that the roosters had told the truth. Yama said that I had committed many sins and sentenced me to many rebirths, both as a chicken and many other types of birds as well. But quite suddenly, an enormous turtle appeared. It screamed at Yama saying, don't take him. He is a good human and should be allowed to live. Yama answered the turtle, why did he do, what did he do to help you? The turtle answered, long ago, I almost died because another of these humans wanted to eat me. This man prevented him, and so I was able to live out my life. Yama asked the turtle if he had any evidence. The turtle asked to be turned upside down and told Yama to look at his underside where he would see where the man had carved his name so many years ago. <laughs> Yama he saw the man's name was the there, just as the turtle had his name said. Into a turtle. And he believed the turtle story. Yama announced that he was canceling the sentence, told me and told me that when I revived, I was to take a vow not to kill any living thing. Wait, who was this? Hey, listen, this guy cuts his six pack holders for sure. Like this guy. Who is this guy? Say this. Right. Who is he? This is a this was taken from a study of Thai near death experiences from Todd Murphy uh, in a study in 2000. Was this 2015? So his near death experiences is this rooster and turtle tail well it wasn't todd murphy but it was one of the accounts that he had uh, gathered accounts, while he was yeah, doing yeah. his study on near-death experiences 
So it, you're but you saying, know what I mean? Like it still it still plays like the classic tune of like you know if some religions of like you will be judged and that. So it's like if if your if your brain is just manifesting like what you've been told and what you know, right? That would make well, sense to me thing. if he's been told like you you are judged by a God. They weigh your sins against your good deeds and then decide if you should. Well, how'd this guy die? What was his NDE? Um, the big thing that I get from this too is like each one of these people like. A Christian has an NDE, they're having a Christian experience. Yeah. A Catholic has an NDE, a Catholic's having a fucking experience. If a Thai guy that believes in magical turtles is having a fucking NDE, that's the type of one he's having. And if an atheist believes in probably nothing, this good, your NDE might try and show you a light, like a metaphysical, like a, a god, but it's not a directed god. But here's my thing, though, like this is something to kind of throws a wrench in this entire thing is approximately 20 percent of people who have an NDE undergo a dark or distressing NDE that has a hellish or perdition theme. Well, could it be just like based on the person? I feel like there's a lot of flaws in these studies because it's there's actually probably a majority of NDEs that go unreported because oh, for sure. Uh, because they either like they out of shame or people like <laughs> or don't believe on them and they say, okay, I saw something, but I interpret it differently. But you also have the ones that like, I would say be careful of like documentaries and things like this, because I feel like they only present one view. Like they only present the good ones. But that's a, like, that's another part of the, a couple of the articles that I came across that have analyzed a lot of the studies that have been done is that a lot of them tend to be the good experiences, the, uh, revisiting of, of a past or, or good moments in your life or meeting with, uh, deceased family members or, or having, uh, aim, you know, good experiences so, with so angels So what you're saying whatever. for every person that has one where they're like, I am no longer scared to death of death and like there's something else there's another person that's like <laughs> i cannot die because i will not go back to that place i visited before scared straight totally. it's absolute hell. there's also ones who have experienced near-death experiences where they were judged to be the wrong people like they were taken to their uh, this is another one that's uh, this one was uh one that i recalled from india where they took up to uh, they took them up to the god Yama, the Hindu god, and he, they said, you know, his name was written in the book, but it was like wrong. It was written wrong. So that he's like, no, take him back. This isn't the right. This isn't even the right person. Why did you bring him to me? You know, and then they take him back. I mean, I take that over these like malevolent fucking spirits that fuck you for the rest of your life. <laughs> like these people are getting these people are having to see a psychologist on a daily basis turn into like hyper religious fucking nuts because of the shit they saw. It's it's weird though. NDA. It's like, cause like I will, I will, you know, kind of pair this back up to a trip. It's like, it's very easy to slip into a bad trip when you're on like hallucinogenics. Like it's, it's really mindset. easy. So I, I imagine that it's, it's like it, when you get this high, your brain just floods you with DMT. I imagine it is essentially like on a teeter totter. Maybe like it has a whole bunch of, factors of like uh how you were doing dealing with stuff mentally like leading up to that moment that like your your days your past what you would experience like the week before because like honestly it's like after having bad ones like i know the things i need to do before do, like before taking them back in the day to not have a bad trip like i knew the things to avoid 
it's funny that you explained like the similarities between that too, because there's also massive similarities. Like Dan was talking about stimulating the right temporal perturial fucking lobe right. in your brain. And that stim that's the exact same stimulation that you get when you're in fucking sleep paralysis, mm. which stimulates that exact same out of body experience. Now, okay. I, I want to bring this up now because brains touch on it twice. And that out of body experience we've talked about that. So we've talked DMT, right? So DMT has been puzzling scientists for a long time because no one really, they know they it's been found in like urine and stuff. So they know it's produced in the body. They just don't really know where. And like the, the main guy is Rick Strassman and that's like the spirit molecule. And like, so when you dream, you produce DMT and that's where like these vivid experiences. And he claims like, oh, the, like a near-death experience, your body is flooded with DMT. But they've never- Isn't it come from the pineal gland? Well, I thought that was proven. Well, no, it's not proven because like they've only- because you can't really experiment on live people. And I guess, because DMT dilutes so fast. But Tell that to the fucking Germans. Right, but- uh, A few years ago. Dr. Frexka, he found it in rice. Or no, sorry, no, 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 doctor- In rice? <laughs> no, 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 rats. <laughs> I read a bad. I've been boiling those little motherfuckers alive this whole time? <laughs> Dr. Jimmo Borgigin found it in the pineal gland of, uh, pineal gland of rats. So he was able, able to dissect live rats and extract DMD from a pineal gland, gland of a rat, which is a mammal, which makes people think that perhaps it's also produced in the human pineal gland, but you can't, no one's been tested because no one's dissecting live humans currently. It's PC. What? Currently dissecting. Well, they've also, they've also done interesting studies with ketamine. They've also found that ket like when you have trips induced with ketamine, it also seems to simulate or have a lot of similarities with near-death experiences. That's right. They're, they're testing ketamine right now in people who are having uh, at-home deaths, basically. Yeah. Like euthanasia. They're using these type of drugs to, you know what I mean, work towards getting that inner peace before around death. Like, but like a last, like a final, a final piece before you die, like when you're like, when you're in hospice or whatever. Uh, exactly like what dude you think about it like if if i'm ready to go i'm walking downtown and buying as much fentanyl as i can and being like all right boys 100 shit in okay let's now, see how good it is <laughs> yeah we're going out with a smile i want to trace that jagged on the topic of dmt though so they found in rats brains they know it's produced in the human body so they they're get they're saying like oh, maybe you produced while you dream and that's what gives you this it's like a because the like DMT is very similar to other like cybacillin and LSD, like the molecular structure is like very similar. But there is a doctor, I don't know if it's, what's his first name? Dr. E-D-E. -E. Ed or Aid? Dr. Aid. E-D? E-D. Dr. E-D Frexka says that DMT has been proven to bind to a Sigma-1 receptor, which I guess is a, it plays a key role in like protecting cells from dying when oxygen is low. This is what this guy says. So like, so if you're drowning or whatever and you're deprived of oxygen, DMT, I guess they say bind, potentially binds to this and that's, and the DMT is, if all is, is made as a connection, the DMT produces these vivid experiences. So, but that's the problem with DMT is no one really knows exactly if it's produced in the human pineal gland, but they know we produce it. So when people say NDE is like, okay, maybe an NDE is like a sudden flood of DMT at death because your body's experiencing lots of oxygen or whatever. And that's what some, some people say, Andrew. 
I'm pretty sure that there's Sigma one receptors like like antagonist or not sorry not antagonist protagonist in like naloxone and stuff like that like people who suffer uh, opioid overdoses like that's what we'd use as an antagonist to opioid overdose the Sigma one receptor so like same yeah well it plays on the Sigma one receptors I'd have to like I remember that from school that might be that I have no idea I'm just I'm reading an article there was a big DMT fest like. Uh, conference like in 2018 and this is all, all this is from so dmt is like i mean that's one of the leading theories is like it's all it's dmt and that's the spirit molecule but you can end it right there and saying like okay your body produces it you die it floods it floods your sensory it, flood, it floods you you have this a vivid experience and if you come back you can remember it sometimes just like a dream like sometimes you wake up from a dream and you're like, man, it's had the craziest fucking dream. I'll never, I don't forget that. And then in 25 seconds, you're like, what was that? It's fucking, it's, fucking, it's gone. Like <laughs> the, you're completely gone. The other, the other thing that I forgot to mention earlier is when, when Snow was talking, uh, she said something that I had actually heard a couple times in watching videos and reading stories is that people saying that we're just caretakers here. And I always thought in my head, every time I heard that or read that, every single time I went, for whom? Like who or what? What are we? Like caretaker kind of gives me the impression of that like someone is has tasked us with doing that or something, right? So <laughs> yeah, we're, that, I always that always popped I'm in my head. I'm a terrible caretaker. <laughs> You're doing a yeah, I mean, piss poor I'm job. Doing an awful job. <laughs> hey, I'm, in, I'm impressed that I'm still employed, buddy. I flipped a turtle like six months ago that was in the middle of the road. Walk into the your side. Fucking name in them? No, I, I. <laughs> They try to be Trump, Trump 2.0 with that was a fucking man carving name on mantis that was a or what? Manatee, yeah. Well, when he goes and sees uh, Yana, he'll have whatever his name is. He'll have to answer for that. <laughs> He's gonna have the roosters and a manatee pointing fingers at him. Right. Uh, I just always thought that was interesting that they say these beings, and then a lot of the people would. You know, well, yeah. I mean, like if I mean, you could, that's like metaphysical. Like, okay, we're we exp we're on this realm. And we've been put here to experience it, but by yeah, by who? Who's the next? Who's the next dimensional being above us who created? Like, are we, are we an experiment? Are we even? You know what I mean? Like, you can get that. You can get pretty deep on that. Like, okay. Yeah, I. And that's an important question. We'll probably talk about the afterlife or you know visions of the afterlife in some other another podcast, which warrants yep. its own uh, so deep many, dive. So many theories. But, uh, to to speak on near death experiences, it's like I think a lot of them, or at least the ones that are reported, you get a lot of stuff that seems to be shaped by a person's kind of cultural preconceptions of what the afterlife has been. And I would argue that in in you know U.S. and Canadian Western culture, I think we're pretty much preconditioned from very young age about what to expect in the afterlife. And I would say that probably plays a large part in what you see or what you interpret when it happens, because not only do, you know, a lot of people who do experience the near D NDEs and are probably, they probably feel better reporting it when it, it conforms to that, you know, the tunnel of light. I saw my grandma, I saw my grandpa, I saw my, somebody who is my great, 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 great aunt and said, it's not your time, go back. You know these these ones are are common. These 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 themes and these images are ones that have been reported often. I think they're shaped by our culture and our personal experiences about what 
and preconceptions of what we think that the afterlife is going to to be. You know, you you absolutely explain all these commonalities that we've fucking gone over with the 90% of North American experiences that we've read. Right. And I thought I thought there was really one interesting that I wanted to touch on it real quick is that there was a uh, there that same study about the experiences, near death experiences of, of Thai people. They also had a they had a near death experience from a person who is of Thai and Chinese mixed heritage. And he had a near death experience where he, you know, he had died and or died. Uh, and he gone into this area where he saw a friend or a group of friends who had died previously earlier and he was able to see them. There was also other groupings of other people, but he was in this large field. Um, he asked him for, you know, he was very, he's, he recalled being, having the feeling of being very thirsty and he saw that his friend had water and a bottle of water. And he's like, can I, can I have some of that water? And he said, no, that's not for you. And he pointed over to a pile of ashes and if you're, uh, if you're, you know, kind of, uh, aware of like what the Chinese kind of, uh, the Chinese belief is that the Chinese belief is that you will, in order to give things to your ancestors in the afterlife, you have to burn them. So if you've ever been to like Asian countries and you see all these weird shops where they have like little cars, they have little paper iPhones, they have all of these things that you basically take to the temples and you burn. And that is an offering to those in the afterlife. And that gives them the things that they would possibly need in the afterlife. And so that, that pile of ashes was interpreted to be like, oh, I've been burning all these offerings and they mean nothing. Instead, I should have been donating to monks because his friends were Thai. He's like, I should have been donating to the temples and to the monks, and I should have been donating water and actual things, and I would have been able to have this stuff. Instead, I have a pile of ashes. Right. And, like, I mean, they have done a lot of research into other cultures and their NDEs, too. Like, you go back all the way to, like, uh, uh, Dr. Raymond Moody, yep. who which was the guy that kind of coined the term NDE and did the initial studies and came forth with everything. He he noted that there are records of like, you know, Egyptian cultures, Greek cultures and stuff like that, that have already been looking into NDEs and have written about them as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I mean? Like they, they were conscious of other cultures experiencing similar events. Yeah. I mean, Raymond Moody, he like, he wrote the book, was it Life After Life? It was his book. Mm-hmm. Very, That's his 1975 then, bestseller. Yeah. yeah. And he also, he, like, he was the founder of the nine stages of the NDE as well, which was used for fucking, like, the nine stages of NDE was like, like the go-to until, I don't even, I can't, I don't think I have the date down where, for what we use now, like, uh, we, right, as of right now, we use Kenneth Ring's. Basically, he breaks it down to like a three stage as opposed to a nine. Right. But they use that as a template for fucking ever. He's like the Freud of NDE. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And he says like his direct quote is like, I don't mind saying that after talking with over a thousand people who have had these experiences and having experienced many times some of the really baffling and un- unusual features of these experiences, it has given me great confidence that there is a life after death. And I'm, he had he had experiences as a child, and that led him down to become a like to do all this research and stuff. So he talked to over a thousand people. But yes, as we say, like those are obviously he looked into other cultures, but he interviewed Western culture. I, I would st- I would still say that Egyptian and Greek culture, which have heavily influenced each other, like I would still consider that Western. Like, 
Western culture. All, yeah, I guess Western <laughs> culture is based on Greek, which, yeah, okay, sure, based on Egyptian. and But, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's... A lot of the, cool. I'm just saying, like, a lot of the central motifs and stuff are, like, interpretations of the afterlife. Sure, yeah. All kind of, like, mesh together within Egyptian, Greek, Christian, They're Muslim, okay. well, Muslim and Christian are kind of Abrahamic yeah. religions. Yeah. Um, they all kind they of build on each stem other. from the same thing, you know, so, yeah. They built, like, the, they, the religion that takes over from the previous builds on the prior religion's stories and just, you know, gives new names and new experiences and... So uh, yeah, I I yeah, I just say with like they wouldn't be as far apart from each other as say like how like Hinduism is very far from like a Baptist right, like the, right, right, right. how their perceptions of whatever afterlife and all those things are very different. They're more aligned, so it's, it's, yeah. yeah. I hear what you mean. Yeah. So I just they'd be more aligned so I would feel like yeah. So they'd be like yeah, this is Egyptians said this and it's like well the Egyptians and and, and Greek culture says this. I'm like yeah, but Greek was kind of like and they're all kind of like mixed together so now that we've gone kind of long, but I, I got one more thing I want to talk about because it was a very, very well-known case. And that was the case of Pam Reynolds. And the surgeon was Robert Spetzler. And he had to do like this, this girl had like a huge like aneurysm in her brain. They had a, they had, I can't remember what it's called. They pretty much freeze your body, drain your blood, drill into your head, fix the aneurysm, pump the blood back in, warm you up and revive you. So this girl was out for a long time and she... So they put her on ECMO, basically. Uh, the the it's called as hypothermic cardiac arrest. So they get pretty much they froze. So she was a hypothermic cardiac arrest. Yeah, that's what they perf per performed a procedure known as hypothermic cardiac arrest. So which like is a way of preserving the body, right? Yeah, because like they same thing like when you find somebody who's like we were talking earlier about in freezing waters, right? You slow the heart rate down. Yeah. And preserve the body. Like that's why these. That's why we would work. You know what I mean? We'd attempt to resuscitate a body that's been in freezing cold waters or in freezing cold temperatures a lot longer than somebody that was found at, you know what I mean? Like a room temperature Yeah, her, or her body was lowered to 10 degrees Celsius called, it's known as a standstill operation. And pretty much like her brain was non-responsive, non uh, but she, she came back and reported, she's like, they put like, I guess they put like these like headphones in your in your ears and they shoot like loud sounds so like monitor your brain function and when it goes flat that's no one they know you're dead and they taped her there's nothing there taped her eyes she's completely out and she came back and gave accounts of like she knew what drill they were using she knew what they were talking about and she knew all this stuff so this this Wild. this is one this is one of the cases that got like international press because it was like a kind of a one of a kind because she was like a popular singer songwriter so she was already a celebrity so that's why I got so much press press but like the doctor Spetzler was like, there's no way she should have been, she should have been able to know him because she was flatlined. She had no brain activity, but she came back and was like, yeah, they were talking about this. This is the type of drill they're using. It looked like a toothbrush. Those are the bits they used. And then other people are obviously like, no, she must not have been unconscious. She must've been slightly conscious and absorbed it. And maybe the ear, the earplugs weren't in all the way, but they're like, to this day, the doctor Spetzler is like, no, there's no possible way she should have been able to know it. Known it, she came out of her body, she listened down upon the group operating on, on her. She witnessed all this stuff that she shouldn't have been in this one doctor's mind and some others should not have been able to know. Well, and that's the thing. Like we can we can offer up these explanations like shunting blood away from the eyes and this and that to cause those symptoms. We don't have definitive proof of what causes these sensations. We don't. 
There is no definitive proof. Zero. Yep. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's a really interesting topic. There's just so, so, so many stories you could go for days. You could start a, a podcast with a thousand episodes of dissecting people's NDEs and talking to doctors. And But uh, let's let's wrap up this one. Let's do uh, some quick theories. Braden, what do you thought? Of, what's your thoughts on NDE? Um, I, I think you're, I think you're tapping into something. Um, you know, uh, Snow talked about tapping into the Kashuk records. Uh, I can't remember what she referred to it as. Um, but as for like the story you just told about her being able to hear all this stuff in the room, I think that's because, you know, if we're getting into this, um, this metaphysical aspect is that, you know, time is a construct. And I, I believe that maybe, um, we're all connected in the way that like it's it's like one we're one being like one giant being experiencing reality through multiple uh, people right so it's like even though she's not alive anymore in that state she's perceiving reality in that place through the other people in the room yeah and that's where she gets like the you know she can hear and the knowledge of the drills and stuff and like what they were using is because she was tapped into you know that her the acacia record and all these other people experiencing that same thing at the same time where she, that it fills in the pieces for her um but i i do think it's you're tapping into something that's uh you know all of us are going to find out one day or another uh, what out. it's about yeah no i i think i would uh i would agree with that i think that I mean, it's it's hard with like because because we live in a material science world, and if it's not provable or repeatable, like it's really hard to take as true, right? But like, you read all these stories, and they're like, and so many people come back different. And you're like, like as Brayden said, like I always I've always kind of thought like since I started getting into this stuff, like you know, probably ten years ago, like we are the universe experiencing itself. I mean, we're just like the combination of all matter, and like. And we're, through evolution, everything we are, I mean, whatever way you think about it, we are like the universe has evolved us to this point to experience the universe and ask questions about it. So at point when you die, whatever, whatever that is consciousness, when you die and you're passing, either it's, you know, it's a rush of DMT right before, right before you die and you're pronounced dead and you don't experience time, right? Or it's like, my time at that experience, this energy of like, you know, cause you know, energy, it's not created or destroyed, transformed. Like that conscious energy yeah. is being transformed now to the next, whatever, whatever that is. Like I'm not, I've. Energy can only be transferred. It cannot be created or destroyed. Boom. That's, that's the thing. First right? law of thermodynamics. <laughs> so I, I know I was raised religious till I was about seven and I've. <laughs> went the opposite way, but I still, I've still always kept that like, okay, well maybe all these stories are based on something like a central story of humanity or like a, 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 you know, creation. And that's, yeah, you pass and that energy is transformed. And some of these people get a glimpse at the other side and they're brought back and they bring their stories with them. And it's just very hard to prove, I think either way. Andrew. For me, you know, like, again, I, I don't want this to come across as, as everybody would expect me to lean on, but it's, it's just hard for me to think on that level. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm just not awakened enough or not, but like in my mind, the way I perceive it is it just seems like some type of, like we, we talked about earlier, thanatosis or apparent death, whereas in animals, they, 
they go against what you think would be every survival instinct instead of fighting to the last bit to survive and kind of give in and go into this tonic immobility and just give in and play dead. And I think that's our brain's way of easing us into these factors. And I think the reason why these people are surviving is because of medical intervention. Like we, we're the reason why we're able to hear these stories is because these people, the, these stories aren't happening or people that died out in the wilderness and nobody found them. They just suddenly came back to yeah. life and walked their way back into society. <laughs> bring them back. They're in fucking hospitals. They're getting the best treatment they possibly could. And they're surviving due to medical inter intervention. And again, I understand. I'm not trying to sound close minded. That's just what makes sense to me. And that's just how my brain works. And that's no, maybe what, maybe that's why it's Western, like modern times, because before we weren't really bringing that many people back you're you're like, dead even even now like our our there like so our successful um rosk or return of spontaneous circulation rates are fucking astro astronomically low like you can get return of spontaneous spontaneous circulation and still end up as a fucking organ donor right you're not getting up and walking into the hospital that's extremely rare right right like they have insane rates like seattle ems has something like a fucking 60 percent rate of rosk which is insane yet how many of those people are walking out of the hospital to tell their story not six ten percent not 60 percent you know, yeah not a chance right like so you know, that's just kind of where I'm talking from. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I have I have stories of successfully getting, you know what I mean, Brosk, with an elderly patient that wakes up and looks at me being like, why didn't you let me die? I was with my wife. Right. I was happy. Everything was good. You know what I mean? Like, I ha I've I've had these NDEs right in front of me. So I've, I've seen them. And but you know what I mean? The reason why they ended up the way they did is because of intervention. Brought them back. No, I hear that. Whether it's divine intervention or but, healing but hands, that, I don't know. Yeah. Dan, no, what do you think? I'm not sure. I don't know. It's above my pay grade. All of ours. I think NDEs <laughs> are an extremely interesting topic. And the fact that they have so many facets to them that seem to dictate what people see or what people experience, whether it is, uh, like I said, a, a majority of the data, not all of it, but the majority of the data and the stories that we do have do come from the United States and from Western Europe. Like those are most of the studies that are, and people who have done the studies, people have done the literature reviews, people have recorded the things. Like Andrew said, a contributing factor is also that we do have it, it, resuscitation rates have increased in the last in the few last few decades like we have more people coming back surviving these these uh you know times of when they're going to be death how people interpreted this differs and it actually varies widely and people want to say that uh that they have all these commonalities that means there must be something after but there's also a lot of differences between experiences like i said if you look into some other cultures and their near-death experiences ones that are far removed from the influences of you know of, of you know modern western tv and stuff this and, and the whole like you die and your spirit comes out of your body and the like you can't tell me you didn't see that in a looney tunes cartoon or <laughs> you know whatever like some cartoon when you were a kid that you you received that you know um uh, was it saint george or whoever at the saint peter at the at the gates like <laughs> you can't tell me you didn't see that in some cartoon at least three or four times so these are important experiences people you know there have been studies done that people perceive these as being real but so are also other traumatic experiences that people have experiences. It, 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 it traumatic experiences and ones that you perceive that 
threaten your very being and your very existence, you take those to heart. They change you. So I, you know, I can't really say that these are, um, like, like we've already said, these are experiences that need to be studied, but it's very difficult to do because it's not something that you can exactly apply the scientific method because you get hung up on the one part where you're, what is going on? What's happening? It's a space news that's not supposed to come up yet. Oh no! <laughs> scared me. It's scared the fuck out of me too. Space ghost. Sorry, Dan. Continue. Yeah. Uh, we can't experiment with it. We can't manipulate it. We can't do anything. You can't predict it. So it's something that's very, very hard for us to wrap our heads around. So maybe down the road we'll get better at it. But unless you can really simulate death, and you can reliably simulate death and accurately simulate death and then have a large group of people participate in a study. Yeah. You can't, you can't really say that 18. all of this is, is something. It, does, uh, does autoerotic asphyxiation, <laughs> does that count? Or? Some people would say it does. Like, <laughs> I've read a couple parts where like, yeah, I've read a couple articles where like that kind of would fit in there. ATT is not performing flatliners. We're not killing ourselves and bringing ourselves back here. um, Hey, listen, we don't advise it either because I've unfortunately been to a few of those that don't work out in their favor. We've heard a couple, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Fun topic. The one thing that's not lost on me with our our opinions on like on the on NDEs is that, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but both Dan and Andrew have never dabbled in psychedelics. They have not. Right, not, not it's yet. not lost on me, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with you, but I'm like, as Is someone marijuana who marijuana psychedelic, no extreme edible doses could be psychedelic. As, okay. as someone who has experience, I'm like, hey, I I like everything you're saying, but I'm like, ooh, I, I've I've had some weird experiences on them where I'm like, I just there's a there's an unknown factor there. That's what I want to ask the scientists who perform all the experiments and do the research. Like, you done a little mushrooms? Just a little. Have you got a well, couple on that, That's another thing I wanted to add to it is that the study of these NDEs is never entirely objective. A lot of these, because it is universally applicable, everybody dies because you can't really remove yourself from it. It's very difficult to study these kinds of things. Yeah. So it's like nobody can actually do it. And a lot of the scientists who do study it are people who have personal experiences with this and they and they just want to know more about it, but they also have either experienced themselves or they've been close with somebody who has experienced it. So it, it's really hard for some, of the, for some of these studies to to come off as objective if you know what you're looking at. And it's like, well, you know, it's kind of, that looks kind of a bit, a bit skewed and you might've had a little, you know, there might've been some confirmation bias here or there. Like, so it's, it, yeah, it's difficult. Like I said, it's just difficult to study it. Um, yeah. Boys, make me a concoction, make it up. I'll do it. I want to kill my ego. I have I'm down. right now, I'm ready. right now I have in my freezer, cannabis slash cybacillin cookies. All right, let's do it. Chocolate chip. I think they're peanut butter, but that's I can get good. chocolate chip I'll if that's what you that. want. I can get chocolate chip for you. No problem. It's going to kill my ego. I'm not going to stop buying shit on eBay every other not day. Not for a while. I might come You're going to buy more stuff on You're eBay. You're going to buy more stuff. <laughs> You're just, no, I don't want to. You just won't feel bad about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Am I going to stop buying Rogaine? No. You're going to start That'd buying stuff that you don't care. You're going to buy that jet figure, that G1 jet fire figure. <laughs> that you want. Like you can want it. <laughs> All right. That, that's a, it's a really fun topic and I'm sure we'll come yeah. back to it in the future, but uh, let's move on. Let's, uh, let's get into some... Oh, let's fire up the randomatron and see what it's oh, so. Space news is already going. Space baby. news is first. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Damn. Space. Was that an exciting yeah, space? Space. Whoa. Whoa. It's crazy, hey? Little <laughs> fake out. There we got you. Have you Jeez. guys thought about space lately? Like, whoa, man. Um, it's the place. The SpaceX successfully landed a starship for the first time. Um, the SN10 Starship prototype launched, did a fucking flip. Flip. Did a flip, landed. What? Elon twisted. It... SN10 successfully landed. And then unfortunately. They did on purpose? Oh, yeah. Dude, it was awesome. <laughs> on purpose. It was like it, it launched, did a flip, and then landed. It was amazing. That yeah, was pretty rad. Unfortunately, after that, a little while later, it just exploded in the most <laughs> magnificent explosion you've ever seen. Uh, this giant metallic dick is just <laughs> we have camera with this. Is there film? Oh yeah, yeah you, can, you can watch it. I don't know if we can use any of the footage on the live stream, but yeah, you can pull it up. Uh, hashtag look it up. It was fucking. No, I I don't think uh, crazy. I don't think fucking Elon Musk is gonna fucking bust us for this, dude. It's fucking it's space karma. Don't be doing flips. That's where we're, we're, we're gonna watch it. We're gonna watch. We're gonna watch the flip. We're gonna watch the flip. Fuck it. Yeah, we're gonna do it. That's not the flip. No, here it comes. That's not the flip. Here's the flip. Literally flip. Now it's gonna explode. Oh, is, yeah, it looks oh, like a big the flip? Yeah, You're right. It totally looks like a dilly. Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna turn off the volume. Okay, here, here it is. If you're not watching the live stream, we're going to explain to you. Here's Starship in the air. Starship Dilly. Yeah. Us. The maybe, Great American Challenge. Maybe this video is too, too long. <laughs> oh, I don't hear. Oh, here's see, a flip. Here's a flip. Here's a flip. Blow up. Come on. Here's a flip. Here's a flip. Do it. There it goes. Oh, why did you change cameras? Oh, it's flipping though. <laughs> oh, Just that, was, it's, that was very anticlimactic. There is there. better videos that you can look on it of it. You can watch it execute the flip. Uh, there it's come flipping. back down to earth. There it goes. Oh, yeah. Look at this. Oh, shit. Watch this. It's just plummeting to earth. And then as it's coming down. Come on, Starship. Plummeting. Here it goes. Four minutes, 48, buddy, 49. Listen. At least you can 50. edit some of this out. <laughs> yeah. We'll edit, edit on seen, the podcast. Buddy, I've seen better... Fucking flips into the ball pit at McDonald's here. Well, this is dude, fucking yeah, lame. but, but <laughs> listen, it's a, it's a thousand ton starship or whatever, ten thousand ton starship. All right, it's just plummeting. It's just plummeting to Earth. But anyways, do we have it, the explosion? Does, this is it, a, so long. They were they they must have zoomed in. This thing is fucking still falling. Uh, so all right, fuck it. It's over. It, when does it flip? I don't fucking know. I thought. I already well, eventually, I when it, uh, it's like a ten minute falling yeah, video, it looks. I think they had it on loop. It's too long. Michael it's too Scott's long. parkour. You know what? This has actually convinced me that David Weiss was right. I don't believe that was even real. That's got a. No. That's nothing more than a helium bloom with a firecracker attached to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, that's a helium <laughs> bloom with firecracker. If I've ever seen one before. Um, but anyways, hashtag look it up. Spectacular footage. Um, uh, this was interesting. Uh, engineers have proposed the first model for a, a physically possible warp, warp drive. drive. I don't understand this at all. No, me neither. <laughs> I understood the head, the, the like headline. the tagline. The headline was like in my realm of like understanding, and then within like three sentences, I was like, "Huh? Maybe we should get Dan to read it then." Uh, basically, if you like Star Wars, uh, you're going to be able to do hyperspeed. It's pretty much saying basically. that... Uh, uh, you mean like light speed? Light speed. Well, it's called yeah. something called an Alcabier drive could achieve this faster than light travel. Just what it's saying. 
some type of warp drive, like a Star Trek. Like, oh, is that the one that like bends space and time? Are you talking yeah, about the warp spin dri- space and time, or uses uses expanding space to propel you in front? Uh, Pretty much, one? yeah. By uh, Miguel Alcubierre, back in 1994, he first first proposed it, and now they're saying it's theoretically possible. And you're like, well, that's awesome. It's theoretically possible, but let's build one then. Let's go. No, well, I think it's theoretically possible because like you, you technically you're not breaking any laws. You're just kind of like bending them. You're just like you're not breaking any laws of physics, but you're you're bending them a bit because it's like what is it? You're expanding space behind you in order to propel you forward. You're like thinning space in front of you and then you expand space behind you. So therefore you're like propelling your craft at like near relativistic speeds or, or whatever. I, I don't think you can exactly you can go near light speed, but you can't go beyond well, it. That would still well, be something else. No, it's called. Well, they're calling it like negative energy which allows you to get past the general relativity pro- problems of faster than light travel. That's what they're saying. Theoretically. Okay, okay. Negative energy. It's basically the same process I used to sprint. <laughs> Negative energy? <laughs> yeah. Can't wait for the running challenge. It's going to be good. Yeah. Um, what else do I have here? Um, Perseverance. Oh, Perseverance. It's officially roving after a successful test drive. Um, so I guess... Uh, She's driving. They tested around. Uh, they drove it 6.5 meters in 33 minutes on blistering like, speed. Blistering did speeds. it do a flip? Did it do a flip? Uh, no, it did a 150 degree turn though. And then it That's backed up 2.5 meters <laughs> and took a picture of its tire tracks in the Martian dust. Yep. <laughs> Does it have the fucking And then it found alarm? Mars, <laughs> Mars's <laughs> oldest tractor. Yeah. <laughs> That's Technically, cool. if it stays yeah. there, you could say that, you know, it could be one day in a museum as Mars' oldest tractor. <laughs> hey, well, no, the first one would have been, but either way, we have two rovers on Mars, the NASA, Second oldest tractor. the China, and then we have the one orbiting from uh, uh, UAE. So yeah. we, got, we got three currently collecting data about, about Mars. The Martian so planet. Pretty dope. Um, let's talk about... Apoth just just did its flyby by Earth about five times the distance from the Earth to Moon as a test, a warm up for the prediction of twenty twenty nine Apothis crashing in to Earth. Well, <laughs> cra- it's, it's flying by potentially <laughs> it's not gonna crash, but uh, <laughs> is there any probability of it crashing? Yeah, there is actually a probability of it crashing because it's going to get so close to it's going to get closer closer to or, or as close to Earth as some of our farthest satellites as the prediction, which is pretty close. So if it gets heated by the sun in a certain way, a little jet of gas or something, or who knows, like it gets a mild collision, it could knock it on course. A small probability. We're talking like fractions of a percent, but. Probably. Let's just nuke but it. it's possible. It's possible it could. Why happen. did they have to name it Apophis? Is what I want. Yeah. Isn't the god of that makes it so much worse? That's the god of chaos. Is that what it is? Like a serpent? Like Egypt? Is that like Egyptian or something? Yeah, it's terrifying, and it's the bad guy from Stargate. Apophis, it's even yeah. worse. Uh, it's terrifying. We need to send our fucking finest Alberta oil riggers up there to drill a fucking hole in it. Send Kurt Russell. Blast we'll it, get it. To, listening yeah. to some fucking. They'll get it done. Aerosmith. They'll get it done. Maybe Mister. Maybe Mister. Colonna can be the lead. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, there's got to be puddles up there. He drains puddles. Uh, yeah. so. uh, all right. Uh, let's fire up the randomatron. See what it spits out tonight. Here we go.
Here it comes. You guys getting that? Oh, shit. Mongoose foul, baby. All right, what? So, what, like always, you know, we know this is getting, it's getting played out. Well, Gonna go ahead and reiterate it. Gonna say this story in the first person because it's easier, but it happened to a friend of a friend of a friend of mine. Of course. Nothing to do with me. I wasn't there. I have no idea. So on this certain day, beautiful sunny day. You know what I mean? Winter's ending, sun's out, it's starting to warm up a bit, but it's still jacket weather, right? So, you know, so it's like, a little nipply, but but we're getting close. So like certain February, town, maybe end of February... Early March. Probably end of February. I, I think that would be a good place. And let's put it in somewhat of like a, I don't know, like a climate like the interior. Let's say, you know what I mean? Like an interior climate. Small, like small medium-sized yeah. medium city or something. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, this particular call, call comes in, right? Pops up. Vague. Not a, lot of, not a lot of description. Just, you know, middle-aged male lacerations. Okay. Interesting. No explanation why there's lacerations. We don't know. Don't think anything of it. But we're going to respond routinely to this call. Routine. No lights and sirens. So we proceed to this call. Nice suburban area. You know, as we approach, you see kids playing. Every, you know, nothing's going on. And oddly enough, as you get closer, you start seeing people kind of like standing at the edge of their driveways, like kind of like looking, looking towards the ambulance, being like, you know what I mean? Deer in the headlights. Eyes are big. And you're like, well, this is a little bit weird. So we pull up to this certain address, nice house, beautiful, three stories, well-kept, manicured lawn, everything like that. Okay, great. Approach the house, bang on the door, and right away you get inside, inside, upstairs. Okay, cool. Doors open, open the door, and as soon as the door opens, you know things are a little bit off. I'm talking like pools of congealed blood Whoa. soaking the front entrance. Right, so it's already congealed, which means this blood isn't brand new. You know what I mean? It's probably maybe half an hour, an hour old, whatever. And you know, as as you walk up the stairs, these pools of blood get bigger and bigger, and you're like, kind of look at your partner. I'm like, well, this isn't what not we good. It was. And as we get up here, you know what I mean? You see people frantically running back and forth, grabbing towels and stuff like that, and other person kind of running with handfuls of these packets in their hands, and you know. And you're, you're kind of trying to look for the, hey, where are we going? Where are we going? And these people don't even pay attention to us and run right by. And a lady runs by holding a bunch of towels being like, over here, come with me, come with me. And as we get up, we walk into this ransacked top floor. Big, beautiful house. Tables upturned. Glasses smashed. Shit everywhere. And then this man kind of piled up, sitting up against a kitchen island, oh. holding his arm. And you're like, okay, man, like, hey, everything's okay. You know, paramedics, we're here to help. And as he kind of looks up to you, you can see, you know what I mean? His right arm is hanging on by a fucking thread. Oh, 
You can see his humerus right down to the bone, multiple lacerations to the bone. The bone looks like it's almost fucking cut in half. Wasn't funny. Wasn't funny whatsoever. All right. So we walk up to this guy and we're like, what the fuck happened? And he's like, he's like, nothing. Just don't worry about it. Like, I need help. I need help. It's but a scratch. <laughs> and, and he's holding his arm. And as he kind of lets go of it, you can see blood starts spurting. Bright red blood spurting from his fucking right from the ditch of his elbow, which is a big red flag because you're right away. If blood's spurting, it's normally an, an artery, right? And if it's you have an arterial bleed, this guy can bleed out fast. So right away, you know, look at my partner. I'm like, throw a tourniquet on this guy. So we tourniquet his right arm and start looking around for other injuries. And this guy's got lacerations to both legs abdomen everything and I'm like man are you gonna tell us what happened like we need to know we need to know what happened to you and he's like don't worry about it. it's fine everything's fine everything's fine so we start patching this guy up start stop the bleed tourniquet on his right arm throw in a line large bore throw in a one line in his other arm and then hit him with some TXA transexemic ashes which is a clotting agent like we're gonna stop this bleed because this guy's got internal bleeding going on and this entire time people are fucking buzzing by as you hear flush toilets flushing toilets flushing and just like there's probably about eight people in this house busy working around you know and it wasn't until like we got this guy kind of loaded up in our stair chair and bringing him down the stairs until I realized like you know what I mean there's two phones sitting on the fucking table there's people running mysterious packages into the bathroom and I'm like <laughs> I'm like, listen, man, like, it's all good. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, give us a description of this guy. The police need to be involved. We're not going to get you in trouble. Like, don't worry about it. Like, we're going to get you to the hospital taken care of. But if somebody tried to fucking murder you, we need to know. And we need to know what he tried to murder you with. And we need to know if we're safe. Right? And, like, we're I'm, we're questioning this guy. Questioning, he's not giving us anything. We get him. We're, we're at the front door. We load him onto our bed. And I'm talking to the guy and finally he's like, listen, he's like, he's like, all you need to know is it's a six foot something male tattoos on his neck, tattoos on his arms. He's driving a, a black sedan and he's, you know what I mean? He's telling me this and I'm like getting ready on the radio. I'm like, listen, guys, we need to, we need the cops here. Code three right away. Uh, keep your eyes out for this, this. And I'm, you know, and I'm like in a black sedan. And as I'm saying black sedan, <laughs> you know, a car kind of starts making its way towards this driveway and it's misses the driveway and parks on the lawn and as I'm describing this black sedan I look up oh it's a black sedan that's weird and all of a sudden you can see the guy's eyes go fucking just this wide and he's like get back inside we need to get back inside now we gotta go back inside and I'm like what do you mean and he's like that's the fucking guy that's him right there and he's on our bed our bed doesn't fit in the house and I'm like listen it's fine like you know what I mean? It's all good. Lethal weapon two, diplomatic immunity. We're paramedics. <laughs> We're fucking fine. Approach this guy like, listen, man, get back in your car. Kick rocks. Get out of here. Cops are on their way. You know, to my surprise, he doesn't listen. Oh. He flips his fucking seat forward and starts grabbing from, from his seat. Oh, no. And this entire time in the back of my head, I'm like, what the fuck could this guy have used to inflict these injuries? Like these, like the damage to his bone like like I'm thinking like an axe a machete like Spucking what could have done this he pulls out 
this fucking weapon that I swear I've seen in Vermintide, <laughs> the Warhammer game we play. It's like a fucking pole with a spear on the top of it and an axe. Like a, a never pole seen axe, anything like this axe, exactly. Whatever the fuck that is. And I'm like, dude, you need to get the fuck out of here. The cops are on their way. And he just looks at me and starts fucking scraping it on the guy's driveway. <laughs> and I'm like, I looked at my partner and I'm like, unbuckle him. So we unbuckle this fucking guy, fireman carry and sprint back into his house as this guy's running at the door, doing our best fucking shoot her Jurassic Park to close his fucking door in time, like panicking. Like, you know what I mean? Filling our fucking pants as this guy's hacking the door. Here's Johnny. You know what I mean? Like fucking losing our minds. We get the fucking door closed. Lock it. The guy's hacking at the door. Beautiful, expensive house. Nice reinforced door. He's not getting through. Get upstairs to the window. You know what I mean? To like patch our guy up, start stabilizing him and like look out the window long enough to see this fucking guy with his giant pole axe get fucking tased and jacked up by the police and just looking at the window, like smiling at him. And he's getting, you know, he's on the ground, he's getting handcuffed and I'm just kind of like, Ooh, you know, sucks to suck, buddy. And he looks into my soul and does this. The throat straight up undertaker, thumb under his throat neck. slit. And I was like, Maybe this is not the best decision. Maybe I shouldn't be laughing. I'm not coming back here. This could be, this could be my sideshow, Bob. <laughs> I could be his Bart Simpson. Gonna get yeah. a call for a few weeks from the prison. Oh my! Could you imagine? <laughs> Guy sounds like Frazier. I'm fucking. I've seen your badge number. Oh man, Andrew. Terrifying. I know what happened. What is that, what is, what, what is that tattoo? It says die Andrew die. Oh no, that's German for the Andrew. The Oh, okay. Parole <laughs> Parole approved. Yeah. Well, that's a fucked up mongoose file right there. That is fucked up. That's fucked up. Yes, sir. Talk about NDEs. Yeah. yeah. Did you see anything? <laughs> Just fucking piss in the crotch of my pants. That's about it. <laughs> All right, this one's run, running long, so if you're not on our Patreon already, Theory of the Week. Oh, Theory of the Week. Record scratch. Theory of the Week. Correct. Thanks, Dan. Andrew, who do we have this week? Uh, our Theory of the Week is going out to one of our most active Patreon members. She's always on. She's always quick to message, to tag, to engage in conversation, to welcome newcomers. Um, this individual theory of the week has been dealing with quite a stressful situation last. She's been spending a lot of time in the hospital with a sick kid, and I can't think of anybody that deserves it more than Jennifer Swope. Jennifer, theory Jennifer. of the week. Woo! Awesome supporter, awesome fan, awesome friend. Hope everything works well out for you. Personal fave. Well deserved. Yep. Overdue about time and uh, when everything resolves in the hospital you let us know because i mean that that's just that's just horrible all around all around shitty but jennifer snow swope the right of the week all right if you're not supporting the show check out patreon.com slash alien theorists podcast or look look for the link in the podcast description this week's newest supporters Great name. Liquor Guide My Hand went up in a pledge. Beauty. Rachel Jackson. George Felix. Emma 666. Don't play too 
Number Don't the play beast. too many Ouija boards. <laughs> Elliot Davis, Nacho, Kyle James, Jesse Dowd, Blood Worthy, Jens John, a full year pledge by AJ Santos, Daniel Clouston, Chris Scott. We actually had a coach called Chris Scott back in the day. I wonder if he's listening. Is it is it spelled with a K? It's not. Uh, it's not Chris Scott then, I guess. Not that Chris Scott. We don't talk about yoga enough. <laughs> yeah. I love yoga. Yoga is saved by flexibility, I'll tell you something. Uh, Ashley Gunn with a full year pledge. Woo. Disaster Woo. of Chaos. Bazooka but Joe. The Mr. Conspiracy in hiding. <laughs> Dallas Hulovic. Chase Lovelace. Sean went up to a $10 pledge. The Magical Bastards. It's okay. a great band name if it's not. <laughs> that is a great name. Gabriella Carbone. And the last pledge of the month or of the week is someone who goes by just Bones. Thank you very much for supporting the show. Uh, and just quickly too, the Mitral winner for February, uh, page, our $10 tier member, Phil Farmer, 80. Uh, you won the Mitral from February. Uh, next Mitral is coming out in March. If you're Patreon, $10 or more, you're automatically entered. Two entries for 10, two for 25, three for 50. And you can get on Instagram or Facebook, put it in the comments, get yourself some extra ones as well. Free entry, anyone, just share the posts. We're all good. That's it for this week. That's it. And as we say at the end of these things, keep those eyes on the skies. See you in after hours. <laughs>